This is what we're looking at today in the scripture that we are finishing up. Praise God, we are finishing up. That We are on the last of the seventh letter that Jesus gave to the churches in Revelation. And we're going to finish it up today. And praise God as we move into something new in the coming uh, weeks and months. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. But I don't want to look past this because this is extremely important, church. I think Jesus finished it up, the seventh letter, for a reason and for a purpose, and I think it's something that we need to see. And so we are looking at, and you can go to your app. In the app, I have listed everything in there. You can follow along, and you can have all the notes and everything there, um, all the scriptures, everything that you need. We are going to finish up Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And I talked about two weeks ago, I'm not going to go back through it all. You've got to go watch it online if you didn't hear it. But we t- I talked a lot about the city of Laodicea and what the city was like. I gave you some archaeological things, some historical facts, some things like that, so that you could get a, a background as to what things were like in Laodicea when Jesus gave them this letter. And it's important that we understand the temperature that was going on in the area that was there. Um, it was, a, again, a, a beautiful city, a wonderful city, a rich city, an affluent city. And Jesus saw fit to give a word to them, a word that he gave through John. John was the youngest, the beloved disciple. John was a man that they had tried to kill. John wouldn't die. They, tried to bo- they boiled him in oil, the word says, and he wouldn't die. And so they, again, decided to exile him to the island of Patmos where he was on this island all by himself. Historically, they believe that he was in a cave. They found a cave and he was in a spot in this cave up on top of this mountain, exiled in Patmos. It was the Lord's day, the word says, and he was worshiping and Jesus Christ shows up to him. Jesus Christ showed up in all of his glory. Jesus showed up in all of his authority. He showed up in all of his sovereignty. He showed up not as the pauper who walked the streets, but he showed up as the king of all kings and the Lord of lords, who he truly is today. And this is what Jesus said. Now again, I make this point and I've made it over and over again because I want you to understand that what we're talking about, it's not Old Testament. This is New Testament. This is the last book of the Bible. This is the last book that in this book he says, don't let any other words be added to or taken from this. This is really important what he's saying and what he's giving us in this in this letter here. And this is the last letter that he gives to the seven churches. So again, this is extremely important. And understand that this is the letter that came from the resurrected Jesus, the God in all of his authority and all of his sovereignty, and it's given to a New Testament church. This is a church that came out of revival. It came out of Pentecost. This is a church that was born again. They were spirit-filled. And it's important for us to remember that as we read through this. So follow along with me as we read this, starting in verse 14. And to the angel of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And there's, he's talking about him. And now he says, I know your works, talking about the church. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you would either, uh, that you were either cold or hot. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. 
not realizing, and this is what Jesus says, that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And then in verse 19, he says this, those whom I love, church, does Jesus love you? I mean, does he really love you? really love you. Well, he says this, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So I ask you again, does Jesus really love you? How about this? Well, then do you really love Jesus? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And I didn't mean that to be a question like I'm doubting that in you. I'm just asking you that as a question that we need to contemplate. He gives us all sorts of indicators throughout his word that we can look at. And if God loves you, then he's disciplining you. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Verse 22, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful and mighty. Your word is able to do what no man can. So let your word, Lord God, seep into the hearts of each one and seek those places, Lord, where you desire we be changed, transformed, renewed. I pray in Jesus' name that you would speak. Lord, I'm gonna ask that you would speak to those today who wanna hear from you. But I'm praying also that you would speak to those who don't wanna hear from you. That you're the God who's able to do all things, and so we ask you to do that. I pray today, Lord, that you would open deaf ears. I pray today that you would open blind eyes. I pray today, Lord, that you would make pliable the stony heart. I pray, God, today that you would minister in the lives of those who who are walking through the motions and simply, Lord, coming to appease a feeling of guilt. But today, Lord, you would move in and minister as only you can. I pray, Lord, that nothing that I say get in the way of what you want to do, but that, Lord, only that which comes from the throne of grace would be received and, and, and held on to, and that, God, it would change our lives. We thank you for that today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. So in this letter, there really is no encouragement. You know, it's not like he was encouraging the church. There's nothing really encouraging that he brings. And the idea we talked about a couple of weeks ago is that there are some professing churches, Christian churches, that are not practicing Christian faithfulness. They're just not. And so there is no encouragement that he brings, but he does bring some rebukes. He does bring some discipline. He does bring some places where he shares with them the consequences if they don't obey and if they don't believe. Real consequences. And, and one, he says, you're lukewarm. And, and he talks about that, that I will spit you out of my mouth. Nobody likes that. That's a, a verse I think a lot of people have come to Christ over. I don't want to be spit out. <laughs> 
And so Jesus comes to this church and says, you guys are lukewarm. And the church is like, no, we're not. You guys are lukewarm. Uh-uh, no, we're not. Look at, we're fired up. Look at all we're doing. Look at all that we got. Look at what we're doing. It's good. This is great. We're good. And Jesus says, no, you're not. Jesus says, you're poor. No, we're not. We're rich. We're affluent. Have you seen my house? I got it all. What are you talking about? We're poor. Jesus says, you're poor. He said, no, we're not. They said, Jesus says, you're naked. They're like, no, we're, Jesus, are you confused? We're the garment district. We're the inventors of black wool. People come from all over the country to buy clothing from us. We're not naked. We got layers of the best clothing on. And Jesus is like, nah, -uh. you're naked. Jesus says, you're blind. And they're like, nah, -uh. We created a salve that heals blindness. People come from all over because they want the salve that we have, Jesus. Jesus, you must be confused. Jesus says, you're lukewarm, you're poor, you're naked and blind. And they said, no, we're not. The question is, who would they believe? And if Jesus spoke that word to us, Hey, we're Americans. We're the American church. You guys are lukewarm, you're poor, you're naked, and you're blind. No, we're not. We have all the revelation in the world, and we got books to prove it. Who will we believe? What we see or what Jesus sees? This is where they're wrestling with. And the truth is, is that they had all these functional saviors that were saviors that had no ability to save. Church, this is a universal thing. We all want saviors. We all want these saviors that will function in our life the way we want them to function. And, often, and again, unless it's Jesus, those functional saviors are saviors that have no ability to save. And what do we press into? What are these saviors? There's the savior of success. If I can just be successful. There's the saviors of provision. The saviors of, of comfort. The saviors of pleasure. How about, there's the savior of happy. You know what? None of those saviors have the ability to save you. And so what Jesus is saying to these people is that they were worshiping comfort instead of Christ. This, come on, give me an amen. <laughs> come on, you guys got to encourage me on these ones here because I didn't write the word. He wrote the word. I'm just kind of helping to tell you what it says. Christ was calling them to do what for them would have been extremely uncomfortable, but they didn't want that because they were choosing comfort over Christ. Oh, come on. I mean, how often the church, we choose comfort over Christ. Come on. I mean, we do. When we look at them, though, and we say, we look at them and judge them. We look at them and go, oh, yeah, those... 
Those Laodiceans, oh, they were, yep, that's the way the rich, that's the way the proud, that's the way those arrogant people are. The truth is, is that the American church, the Western world, we are the arrogant. We are the rich. We are the prideful. Church, we have an affluence like has never been known in the history of the world. Those people, those people in Laodicea that he wrote this letter to, they had gigantic houses. They had huge houses. Do you know that there's probably, a, a, in those houses that they had, the average house that we live in is about the size of the houses that they had. They had indoor plumbing. What, a, what an amazing feat to have indoor plumbing. We have indoor plumbing. We just take it for granted that it's going to flush every time we push the lever. Church, we're not worried. Listen, I, I would bet there's not a single one of us in this place today. Not one of us that's worried about whether we're going to have clothes to wear tomorrow or whether we're going to have food to eat tomorrow. I don't think there's a single one of us in this place that wonders if there's going to be water for us to drink tomorrow. We just have gotten complacent and we just assume, church, that our affluence is just going to last forever. As every dominant culture in the world up to this point has thought right before their fall, but that kind of assumption can lead us into this place of becoming lethargic. We, we just become lethargic. And, and to be honest, church, and this is one of those places where this is really, this is devastating for the church or to the church. We can become so lethargic in the provision that we have that we really don't look at heaven as our home. We're just fine in the paradise that we've created here as long as everything keeps going the way it is. It's not Christ that any of us live for. Oh, we would say we love him, but it's not, is it really Christ that we live for? It's not really Christ that many people are living for. It's comfort that people are living for. And a lot of people come to Christ because they think that Christ will just make them more comfortable. And Jesus, in this, he's saying, you know, everything you guys got going on, everything is going well. You got things going on physically. You got things going on materialistically. But spiritually, you guys have completely dropped the ball. And I'm afraid for you. And I'm afraid for what's going on because you've chosen comfort over me. What I'm afraid of is that we have a lot in common with the church in Laodicea. And I think that we seriously have to ask ourselves, how could this happen to us? How could this go on in us? What, what is it that we need to look at? And I think there's some questions that we need to look at. Because if we don't look at these questions, what we tend to do is look at this whole story and look at this letter to the Laodiceans and religiously look at it and think, well, yeah, those people. Oh, those people. We look at that whole thing and we just become judgmental rather than what God is calling us to. And that's to look at this whole thing and to listen to what it is we're talking about in this scripture, what he's telling us, and to look at it humbly, to look at it with a humble heart, knowing, knowing that in many ways we are prone to be just like them. 
listen, if we don't do that, if we don't read the Bible and look at the Bible like, God, what is it you want to say to us? We just become religious, judgmental people who want to point a finger at everybody else. When we are called to be worshipers who worship God, the God of the scriptures, and say, God, speak to me, rebuke me, bring discipline into my life. God, I need you. Listen, do you listen to the scriptures so that you can point it up, finger at everybody else, or do you listen to the scriptures and say, God, judge me with your word? It's important that we look at these questions. You may not like some of these. I'll be honest with you. I don't like some of these because I have to contend with the answers myself. But the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, is my relationship with Jesus cold? Like, you're here, and you know what? I really just don't care. I'm here because they made me. I'm here because I was forced. I'm here because I'm just trying to get guilt, but I really don't care. Is your relationship with Jesus cold? Is it lukewarm? Well... Okay, I just don't care that much. Or is your relationship with Jesus hot? Are you passionately in love with Jesus? Are you passionately in love with Jesus like you were passionately in love with the person that you married? Are you passionately in love with Jesus where you're waking up each and every day and your thoughts are of him, where I want to get closer to you and I want to know you better and I can't wait to find out what you have to say to me and I want to draw closer in you so that I can know you, so that you can know me, so that you can transform my life. Jesus, I want more of you in my life and I want less of me. Help me to become more like you. There should be that kind of fire and passion in our life that says, yes, Lord, I want you. So without saying anything, don't blurt out an answer. (laughs) Is your relationship with Jesus cold, lukewarm, or hot? You know, sadly, and I think this happens in Christianity, you know, uh, I was trying to think, and I, I just came out. I don't really know what the answer, I mean, what the, I don't know the appropriate statement. But today, you know, they say that 40 has become the new 30, right? Or is it 50 has become the new 40? Or I think 60 has become the new 20. <laughs> That's personally what I'm hoping for. <laughs> just kidding. I wouldn't go back if you paid me. But what happens in Christianity, I think, lukewarm has become the new hot. Because we have in the church, we have driven out anything that's passionate. Why? Because they're freaky. Because they're weird. Because they're always talking about Jesus. Because they sing too loud and they shout out in service and they get crazy and want to pray for people and they're just weird and do weird things. So what do we do? We send the usher over and try to get the usher to help him quiet down. You know, would you mind just singing a little bit quieter? Would you, you know what, would you calm down the dance a little bit? Can't you just rock? There's a great book called Church Quick, and they have, he talks about that. The church has driven passion out of the church because we've driven everybody with passion out of the church because it's weird and we don't like it. 
And so what do we do then? We begin to applaud lukewarmness. We're, oh, look at you. Oh, you so good. You come to church. You've been to church twice this month. That is so awesome. Good job. You're doing great. Oh, I know you're living like hell when you leave. And I know that you're, you know, again, I know you can't control your language. And I know that you're talking like, like, you know, a demon. I know you're living with this person. I know that you're in full-blown sin. But you're in church, so you're good. And you just said you love Jesus. Telling you, I really do believe that lukewarm has become the new hot, and we've applauded lukewarmness because we can compare ourselves by those that are icy cold. And you know, compared to icy cold, I'm pretty hot. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Come on, how many of us have thought that way? Where in the scriptures does it tell us to compare ourselves by ourselves? We're supposed to compare ourselves unto the plumb line of God's word. We're supposed to look there. And church, you know what? I'm not as bad as them. Well, maybe not, but you're not where you're supposed to be. So line yourself up with the word of God. Yes, amen. Amen. Yes. Two, this is hard. Would you say your church is cold, lukewarm, or hot? Again, I, I mean, it's a, it's a real question, and uh, it's a hard one for me as pastor to ask. I feel there's some places, uh, there's some places where we have appeased ourselves and sunken into some lukewarm places. But I think that this whole word that Jesus gives to the church about lukewarm is something that could be appropriate for lots of churches today. Look, just churches that are just lukewarm. There's no passion. There's no desire. There's no real zeal as God talks about. That means people aren't giving. People aren't, aren't, aren't serving. People aren't, aren't talking about Jesus. People aren't caring. People aren't trying. People aren't innovating. People aren't walking in witty inventions. People aren't caring about whether their neighbors get saved. People aren't caring about the world that's out there. We just care about the world that's in here. People aren't following Jesus with a passion and a zeal. And it's a church that did, people in the church aren't bothered by the fact that people aren't coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Amen. It's a church that's not bothered by the fact that lives aren't being transformed, that lives and people's lives are leaving the same way they came in. Yes. It's a church that's not bothered by the fact that, you know what, we got every sort of, 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 of place that we've just settled into the comfort zone of our routine. You know, you can only imagine here all these affluent people oh, going to church, wearing their Sunday best, going to church, and, and then going out to lunch afterwards and going on with their lives. And in their lukewarmness, not applying anything that they had just been taught through the scriptures about what God had commanded them to believe or what God was commanding them as to how to behave. Lukewarm, he says. Third thing that we need to ask ourselves is this. What are the things that are keeping you passionate? What are the things that keep you hot for God? What are, what are those things? Each of us have them. Whether you know it or not, we each have things that will keep us passionate for God, that will cause us to be on fire for God. But the question then is, is are you carving time out for those things? Are you protecting those things in your life? 
Are you keeping those things before you? Some of you may say, yeah, you know what? It's, it's reading the Bible. It's time in prayer. It's time sitting under the anointing of God's word when I hear the preaching of God's word. Uh, for some people, those are things that keep them hot and on fire. For others, it's times when, you know, we get away in silence and solitude and we get before God in the mountains and we just clear our mind and allow ourselves to have thoughts and, and just to relate with God. For others, it's sitting in front of their notebook and the Bible's open and they're writing the notes and journaling about the things that God is speaking to their heart. It's the firing them up to hear what God wants to say and they, they're, they're writing them, they're typing those things in about what God's teaching them, about what God's sharing with them, about how we're struggling. I think everybody has these places where we can get fired up and everybody has a different way that we go about being fired up, cultivating that relationship of fire with God. Whatever that is, church, how's it going? Are you cultivating that time? Are you protecting that time? Are you allowing yourself by doing what you need to do to be on fire for God? Or are you simply sitting on the counter becoming lukewarm? Real questions that we need to ask ourselves. I'm not being judgmental about anybody, nor am I making judgments towards you. I'm just asking that you would ask yourself the same questions that I've been asking myself. The fourth question I think we need to ask ourselves is what comforts keep you from being hot for God? What are they? Church, I think that, you know, it's so easy to sit and go, oh yeah, those people that put comfort over Christ. Oh, those people that put comfort. Listen, you know what? It's something that we all are tempted in. It's something that we all have to struggle with. We all have this place where we want to choose comfort over Christ. Think about it. Well, I would read my Bible... But, or I, I would spend time in prayer, but I, I would spend time in worship, but, you know, I, I would serve at the church, but, you know, I, I would give, but, but I would rather do something else. I would rather surf the internet. I would rather spend three hours on Pinterest. I would rather watch television. I would rather spend hours on YouTube watching stupid, mindless videos. I would rather go shopping. I would rather go shopping. I would rather play with all the toys that I have because I have to work so hard all week to pay the payments on all these toys that I have and I want to enjoy them because I have to pay for them. So I'd rather go play with them. I'd rather fill my belly. I'd rather take a nap. So often, church, comfort comes before Christ. So what are the things in your life that are keeping you from being hot for God? 
Who are the people in your life that are keeping you from being hot for God? You know, are, are you single and in a relationship where in that relationship you want to be hot for God, but this person that you're in a relationship with, you know, a single person in a relationship with somebody else, and that person isn't hot for God, in fact, they're lukewarm, maybe even icy cold? If that's your situation, you know what you need? You need an ex-relationship. You need a relationship with somebody that's going to be on fire, that's going to help you and to stir that up. And again, I am not talking about married couples here. That's a whole different sermon. Church, we need to, again, look at the people, the things that are in our lives and the things that would keep us from being hot for God, that would be, cause us from being passionate from God. And as much as you're able to press forward and to press into that place where you're stirring those gifts up, to press into those places where you will have people around you that will stir those gifts in you, places where you can find the fire of God, rather than allowing yourself to continually go into situation after situation after situation, surrounded by circumstances and people that are just sucking the heat out of you and just causing you to become lukewarm or even icy cold. Amen? Amen? And, and then the, the last thing here in, in uh, the question I think we need to ask ourselves is what part of your life lacks a sense of urgency? What are you urgent about? You know, I, I mean, I think that's what Jesus is getting at here. The Laodiceans, hey, you know what? There's no sense of urgency in your life. And honestly, with no sense of urgency, that's how we start becoming lukewarm. What are you urgent about? Lukewarmness comes when there's no sense of urgency, no sense of urgency towards repentance, no sense of urgency towards sin, no sense of urgency towards our relationship with God, no sense of urgency towards eternal life, no sense of urgency towards the lost, no sense of urgency towards growth in our life, no sense of urgency towards others meeting Jesus, no sense of urgency towards the onward progression of the church, the growth of the church. There's no urgency about those things. God wants us to have that. So praise God. We need to ask ourselves those questions. We do. I, I feel very strongly that those are things that we all have to contend with. And that's what he was saying to this church in Laodicea that didn't see themselves that way. But Jesus said they were. And then he goes into the scripture here and he goes on and he gives them some commands and he gives them then some promises. And I want to just go through these here real quick with you. The first command in verse 19 that he tells them, and again, this is so important. We have to accept loving discipline. Amen. We have to accept loving discipline. You know, I mean, again, and we can amen that, but some of us have put ourselves in a position where we never have anybody in our life that can give us any kind of loving discipline. 
We have set it up so that we're always the parent, never the child. We've set it up. We're always the boss. We're always the leader. We're never the employee. We're never the follower. We have set it up in such a way where we organize our lives outside of the community, outside of the community of God. We organize our life in such a way that we're just close enough to feel lukewarm, but we're never in that place where anybody has the right to put their finger in our chest and say, you know what? The way that you're living, I love you too much to let you go on that way. This is not biblical. It's not the way the Bible says you're supposed to be living and I love you enough and I care about you enough to confront you on this and you need to make some changes in some of these things because it's a problem but we don't have those kinds of people in our life because we don't want people in our life to do that I mean, it's easy when you're sitting here and I'm talking about this from here and I'm talking about the kind of, you know, you, you they need to make some change and bring some rebuke from the pulpit. Oh, yeah, that's right. Boy, how often people don't feel the same way about it when I bring it in the office. When it's one-on-one. -on -one. When there's a confrontation of the way that you're living your life, the way that you're treating your spouse, the way that you're treating your kids, the way that you're handling your money, the way that you're doing, you know what? Oh, no, that's my business. Who do you think? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was all God's. People don't want to hear it. So they leave the church. And they go find someplace else that will be okay with their sin. Well, I'm sorry, this will never be that place. No, sin's not okay. Oh, we want sinners to come. We want to give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to move in your life and to bring the conviction that the Holy Spirit can, can bring. But when God lays it on someone's heart to come and say, you know what, this needs to change in you. And do it in love. So Jesus is saying, look, if somebody really loves you, look, church, this is the truth. If somebody really loves you, they're going to discipline you. And having people in your life that love you means there are people that are in your life that will discipline you. There are people that are going to come and bring some correction to you. They're going to point out some flaws in your life. They're going to come and they're going to bring some correction. They're going to do it in a way that it will invite you to change because they love you. And Jesus is saying to the church, I'm doing that. That's what he's doing. But we can hear criticism. You can hear criticism from Scripture. And isn't it funny how I can stand up here and say something, I can read the word to you, and we hear this criticism, and it's always for somebody else. It's always for the person next to you. I thank God that he loves me so much that he brings me to church so he can speak to my wife. No, I mean, you know, we hear a word and, and what's the first thing we start to do is we start to, you know, we start to bristle against that. Look, I'm on. How many of you thought that? You know, I don't, I don't want him to see because he might just look at me. But who does he think he is? How, I did not come to church for this. And we bristle against that. We reject that. Listen, God wants to help you. Jesus is saying to the church, no, really, listen, I love you. And you can know that I love you because I'm bringing correction to you. 
I'm bringing discipline to you because I'm displeased with what you're doing. I don't like the way you're acting, the way you're talking, the way you're living your life, and I want to help you. So please, please accept my correction. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. And oftentimes, Jesus will do that through the people that love us and are around us. But we want to reject that. Two, he goes on, he says, be zealous, he says in verse 19. You know, the Holy Spirit, listen, every one of you, the Holy Spirit wants you to be zealous. Look, you know, the Holy Spirit wants you to be a Jesus freak. The Holy Spirit wants you to be fired up for him. The Holy Spirit wants you to be so in love with Jesus that you can't help but tell everybody around you how much you're in love with Jesus and how much he loves you. I can't help but want to tell you about this friend of mine. His name is Jesus and he loves me and he came into my life and he forgave me my sins and he called me into eternal life. He took me out of the pit and he gave me life. I didn't deserve it. I don't know why he did it, but he did and he'll do it for you too. Where's the fire? There's a passion. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the one who can enable you with that. And so it's not the point. The Holy Spirit is in you. He is in your life, and he can do that. The question is, will we ask him to? Are you willing to ask God to ignite that kind of passion in you? (laughs) I don't know about that. I'm kind of looking for the lukewarm path. I don't want, you know, I got party buddies who won't come hang out with me anymore. I got friends that are already not real sure about me because I invited them to church. I got out there and really, you know, I got bold and invited them to church. Look, if you're not, if you're lacking zealousness, you can go to the Holy Spirit and say, okay, Lord, I know you want me to be zealous. You want me to be fired up. So Holy Spirit, I pray asking you to come into my life in a powerful way and let there be a fire that would burn. Let there be something in me that's different than the way I came into this time of prayer. And I want you to fill me up. I want you to fire me up. I want you to send me out. I want you to come and bring passion. I want you to come and bring a fire. I want you to come, Holy Spirit, and ignite a continual fire of passion for Jesus. Come do that, Holy Spirit. Look, do you think that God would not answer a prayer like that? That's what he wants. He says here, the command is this, be zealous. He says, number three, he says, repent in verse 19. And that means to have a change of mind that leads, look, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction that leads to a change of heart. Church, over and over and over again, he talks about repentance. Throughout the scriptures, he talks about repent, repent, repent. Look, repentance is not just, repentance aside from Jesus Christ, repentance is the greatest gift that God has ever given the church. He gives us the opportunity. Every single one of you, if you can hear my voice, God is offering you this opportunity to repent, to be forgiven of your sins and to turn to him and to find his righteousness, that he is there to cleanse you and to make you whole. And so the opportunity to repent is there. He gives that to each and every one of us. But repentance, listen, is not just something that we do to become a Christian. It's not. 
Repentance is something that it's ongoing. It is a series of humble moments that we continually, day by day, that we come into where we bow our heart before God. We bow our knee before him and we acknowledge him, Lord, the way that I'm acting isn't right. The way that I'm thinking isn't right. Lord God, I repent. I turn from those ways. Repentance means not saying I'm sorry. It's turning from those ways. It's turning from our sin and turning towards our Savior. And what that means is that we have a change of mind, a change of mind that is so profound in us that we change our mind. And the changing of our mind begins to change the way that we act. It changes our heart, and it changes our direction, and it changes our life. That's what repentance does. Martin Luther said all of a Christian's life is one of repentance. And church, to stop repenting is the moment you'll start growing lukewarm. You will. And I will say this. If you're at that place where you're always right, where everyone else is always wrong, where you can find the flaw in everyone else, where you can bring judgment to everyone else, but you're never going to judge yourself, if you can just ignore every fault, flaw, every fault, everything you do wrong, and everything's just okay because it's you, you're already lukewarm. Amen, Pastor Mark. <laughs> Good word, Pastor Mark. <laughs> hey, look, you know what? You want to stay hot for God? Then you have a life of repentance where we continually turning in these bodies of ours, in this life that we live. We're continually turning and recognizing, oh God, I'm so sorry. You know what? The way I was thinking, thank you for revealing it because I was thinking wrong. I was acting wrong. I was doing wrong. Repentance is when you turn away from sin and you turn back to the fire. Look, the description of Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, is a description of fire. You want to stay hot? Draw close to the fire. Fourth thing is that Jesus, listen, Jesus, he wants, do you know Jesus wants to be in the church? Listen to what he says. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Now, we use that verse as an evangelism verse. We, we, oh, yes, this is great. You know what? Jesus is here, and he's knocking on the door of your heart, and he wants to come in, and he wants to bring salvation. And, and again, I believe that Jesus will, he's do, does that. He's maybe doing that in some of your hearts even right now. But the context of this verse is a verse that's written to the church, to the saved, to those that were already in the church. And it's what he's saying. I mean, Jesus is like, hey, I'm here today, and, and he's knocking on the door. The church had a door. Think about it. Just, just go with me for a moment. The church had a door, and Jesus was knocking on it. Why was Jesus having to knock on the door? Because they locked it. They didn't want to let him in. Jesus couldn't go to their church. Why? Because Jesus is just so opinionated. And he is so one way. And Jesus is just not very pliable in some of these things. He's so opinionated. He's so strong-willed. Jesus is just too divisive to come to church. 
And the church is like, well, you know what? We all got together. And it was unspoken, but we just all decided we just didn't want Jesus to come to church. And Jesus is like, wait a minute. When you guys get together, I see you. I'm looking in the window. I see you. I know you're there. I see you at your wear. You got on your Sunday best. You look great. But I show up and you guys shut the door and lock the door. Imagine Jesus standing outside the church and it's so-and-so Christian church. So-and-so church of Christ. And here's Christ knocking on the door. Hello? Can I come in? Hello? Somebody opens the peephole. Who's there? Oh, it's Jesus. It's me. I'm here. Uh, Jesus, you know what? We really don't want you today to come into church because you're going to tell us all to repent again. And you're going to tell us we're wrong. And you're going to tell us that we're supposed to give money and to give time and to give effort. We just really, you know what? We have a very comfortable social club here. And we're really comfortable. And we have some very important people here. And we have some very influential people here. And we have some rich people here. And we have some smart people here. And, you know, none of them really want to hear what you have to say. In fact, they said if you come, they're not gonna. So we bolted the door. But hey, Jesus, we'll see you afterwards at lunch because we really want you to bless our food. Listen, there are a lot of churches like that. There are a lot of denominations that are like that. And I think it is absolutely tragic because church, it's all about Jesus. From front to back, it's all about Jesus. Look, the only real hope for people is Jesus. The only real help for people is Jesus. The only real healing for people's lives is Jesus. And and look, you may find this, you, you can do with this statement what you want. But Christianity is not just so that we can have a lifestyle. It's not just so that we can have a social gathering to get together and form our own little club. It's not a a way of living that's just more moral than everybody else, and it's something that's really good for me and my family. No, Christianity is all about meeting Jesus. It's about giving your sins to Jesus and receiving your righteousness from Him. It's about coming into this place where you allow the Holy Spirit to fill you. You allow the Holy Spirit to overflow you, to bring a passion and to bring a fire into your life so that we become hot for God. And by the grace of God, Christianity is about daily being transformed and changed unto the image of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Listen, it's that that will change your life. It's that that then will change your church. It's that that will then change your home. It's that that will then change our community. Lukewarm isn't going to change anything. Nobody wants lukewarm. We need to be on fire passionately. And that only will happen when we realize that everything in our life, everything in our church, everything, it begins with Jesus, it ends with Jesus. He is our all and all. But my question is this. Is Jesus, this Jesus, 
Is he really welcome in your life? Is this Jesus really welcome in your home? Is this Jesus really welcome in your church? Is this Jesus really welcome even when he has things to say that you don't like? Even when he wants to bring rebuke? Well, Jesus is welcome as long as he's telling me how much he loves me. As long as, you know, we're talking about grace and mercy. Oh, but the moment he brings up that rebuke word, no, 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 no more Jesus. We don't need that. Look, it comes down to this. It's an issue of lordship. It's an issue of sovereignty. It's an issue of authority. Who is your ultimate authority? And then he says, listen to the Holy Spirit. This verse we've heard over and over again. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. You know, the Holy Spirit is always talking. He's always talking. He's always speaking. He always has something to say. And he will primarily, he will speak through the scriptures, which he, the Holy Spirit, inspired on anointed men to write and to put together what are what we call the scriptures. He is his word. And so these servant authorities have, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, given us the scripture. And every time you open it up, you need to know you're hearing from God. He's speaking to you. He also will speak to you through circumstances. He will speak to you through believers. He will, he will, if he can speak through a donkey, he can speak even through unbelievers. He will speak in that small, still voice, in that leading that he brings. And church, if we believe, and he is, that the Holy Spirit is always speaking to us, then what we need to do is always be willing to check that by the word of God. To check what he is saying by the word of God. To check that by the people of God. To check that by the authority that God has put in the lives of those that are around you. Because 1 John chapter 4, in verse 1, it says, Do not believe every spirit. Do you know why he said that? He said, do not believe every spirit because there are many spirits that you should not believe. Yet we take everything spiritual and just think it's God. When most of the time, it's not. And we need to be able to discern that. He says, do not believe every spirit. But what do we do? He says, but test the spirits to see whether or not they're from God. It's for all of us. And how do we do that? I just told you. By doing those things. So that we can have the confidence to come to this place where we say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to me? Let me wrap this up with the blessings that God has provided. He says that if you listen to me, he says there's two things that will happen. One, you'll eat with me. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And then he says, you will sit on a throne with me. Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Again, in that day, it was the greatest honor was to sit down and to eat with the king. Nobody, I mean, very few got to sit down and eat with the king. And here Jesus is saying, in the context that these people would have understood that, he's saying, I am the king of all kings. I am the Lord of all lords. And I will allow you to come and to sit down with me and to eat with me. And also, not just that, I'll let you sit on a throne with me. 
In that day, Domitian was a horrible man. He was the emperor. He was a horrible, horrible guy. He declared himself to be Lord, God, and Savior. Those are things that only Jesus was. And so you can see Domitian on his throne claiming himself to be Lord, God, and Savior. There was a tremendous uh, hatred towards Christianity because Jesus was Lord, God, and Savior. And so Domitian, he's on the throne, sitting on the physical throne in that time. And Jesus is saying, I've got a throne that's above Domitian's throne. I have a throne that's above every other throne. And I am going to rule over everything. I rule over what he rules. And I rule over him as well. But I am not a ruler like Domitian is. I am a ruler who loves you. And I am a kind ruler. And if you will come to me, listen church, Jesus is saying, if you will come to me, I will forgive you. If you will come to me as your king, I will heal your life. If you will come to me, I will set you sit down at the table and feast with me. If you will come to me, I will let you sit down on the throne with me. Jesus is saying, I am a completely different kind of king, a completely different kind of leader than Domitian is. And so Jesus is setting this table, he's setting this up, and at the end of chapter 3, Jesus begins, he talks about the throne over and over and over again, and that Jesus is high and exalted, seated on the throne. And he concludes these seven letters, and the, the idea going forward is he starts to talk about the throne. And you'll see in Revelation, he talks about the throne 45 times. In the last book of the Bible, he talks about it 45 times. It's in 14 of the 22 books that he talks about the throne. And Jesus is the one that's seated on that throne. And this is important because he wants us to see this. And it goes all the way back to the vision that Isaiah had in chapter 6. We, hundreds of years, six, 700 years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah has this vision. God gives him this vision. And he says, I saw heaven open and I saw one seated on the throne. And he was high and exalted. And the angels, they worshipped him. And they cried, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Heaven and earth are full of his glory. Amen. Church, the question is, who was seated on the throne? In John chapter 12, in verses 40 and 41, it says it was Isaiah, he saw Jesus. And it was his glory that he was talking about. And so from this point forward, there's this this story in Revelation, this imagery of the throne and Jesus seated on the throne. Church, he's not a pauper who's walking in a humble village. He is the king of all kings, seated on the throne. He is the God of all. And church, we belong to him if we have put our faith in him, if we have put our trust in him, if we submitted ourselves to him, if we're following him, if we have repented of our sins to him. He is the king of all kings, and he's the king who laid down the robes of glory to come into this earth, to take upon himself flesh, and to give his life for us, to to die for our sins. He is a king who died on purpose for you and for me. He is a king that arose from the dead to create a kingdom that you and I could find the forgiveness of our sins in, that we could come and find an eternal destiny that had been changed and altered and transformed. And we can feast with him and we can sit on that throne with him. Church, this is, this is completely different. And he's talking to these people in Laodicea, and I believe he's talking to us too. You may think that you have all the comforts. You may think that you have paradise here. You may think that you have everything that you could ever imagine. But I've got a life for you that is beyond that. I've got a life for you that is generous and full of glory. I've got a life for you that's lavish, and I want you to come and see me as the king seated on the throne. That's the image of Jesus that we need to have. He is the king on the throne. He has won, the Bible says, with the Father. 
Father. He is faithful. He is true. He was there at the very beginning. He is creator God, and he is our king, and he is the king of all kings, and he is on the throne as Lord of all lords, and he is on the throne. Church, this is who Jesus is. And the question is, have you received this Jesus? He's the one who's able. Worship team, come on back up. Let me ask you this morning, just to take a moment and examine your own heart. Just for a moment, think, how would you respond if those words were directly to you? How are you doing in your walk with Jesus? I mean, individually and, and as a family, corporately. Church, are we lukewarm? Just indifferent? Indifferent to what's going on outside the walls? Indifferent to what's going on in the lives of our neighbors? indifferent to what other people are doing. Is the light of the gospel grown dim? Lord, restore back the joy of my salvation. Or church, is there something in us that just says, Jesus, I want more. Ah, Jesus, I want to stir up the gifts in me. I want more of you, Lord God. I want that light to burn brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. I want to see the coming of Jesus in my life. I want to see the fire and passion of the Holy Spirit in me. I want you, Lord God, and I see you today. I see you as the exalted king. You are the worthy one. You are the one who came to rescue me, and I give you my heart, and I pray, God, bring transformation to my life. You are my king, and I give you the opportunity, Lord, to come into my life because I know that you are kind and you are gracious and you are merciful and you are the one in whom we can put our trust. Look, are we submitted, listen, are we submitted to his kingdom or are we submitted to another kingdom? Are we submitted to our own kingdom? Where I'm king. Like Domitian said. Church, Jesus will never be a divided God. And he is either Lord of all of our life, or he isn't Lord at all. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus, come on with open hearts, Lord God, we come before you. And Holy Spirit, move in us today. Come on, just ask him, church. Ask him to move in you. Holy Spirit, bring your fire, bring your passion. Oh God, we long for you. We long for what you would do. We long for a move of the Holy Spirit in our lives to bring a passion, a fire, to bring forth, Lord, the, the gifts of your Spirit to manifest in us, oh God. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Oh, and if you've never 
made Jesus Christ, accepted Him as your Savior, given Him that place of Lordship in your life, today just call out to Him. Say, God, I am a sinner. And I, I need something. And if you're truly the God that He's talking about, the, the God that the Scriptures are talking about, then I need you to come into my life and I ask that you would do that. If that's the reality of who you are, then I give you myself and I say, come Lord Jesus, I need you. I've messed things up. My life is turned upside down and I need to be rescued from myself. I need to be rescued from this sin-filled world. Come Jesus. Just call out to Him. Call out to Him. I said, I will come to all who call upon my name. But maybe today, you're hearing the cry of God in your life. And He's exposing that you've become lukewarm. Oh, I'm not saying you don't love the Lord. I'm just saying there's just not a passion there. And you realize it. You've allowed comfort. You've allowed a lot of your own desires, the things that you wanted, selfishness, pride, to creep in and cause you to become lukewarm. And you heard the cry. You know that He's speaking to you right now. You know the cry to repent. And we're going to take the time to respond to Him. Has He called you? Is He calling you in a place of repentance? While your heads are bowed and, and your eyes are closed, it's between you and God. If that's the call that God has given you, you hear that, will you raise your hand up and just say, Pastor Mark, pray for me? Come on, I, this is one of that first steps towards, Lord, I want to be on fire. I want to be fired up for you, God. Come on, is that something he's speaking to your heart today? Then he's calling us to a place of repentance. And I want to take the time to open up the altar for you. That you would come to the resurrected king and receive mercy and grace do what he's called you to do and to let him do and fulfill the promises that he said he would do and bring in your life so we're going to sing and the altar is open and if you raise your hand up I'm going to ask you to be bold and brave and step out don't let pride don't let time the restaurant will still have food and I want you to step out and if that's you and you need that today come to the altar come to the altar oh, come Lord Jesus come come on the Holy Spirit is moving the Holy Spirit has a plan you need the altar come 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 to the altar. Oh, he is faithful. He is true. He is faithful. He is true. Come 
on, make room. Come on up. Make room. Come to the front. Make room for all those behind you. others as the spirit of the lord is calling you and asking you you feel that tug on your heart i want you to step out and i want you to come and i want you to pray with some of your brothers and sisters that are here because listen if you're not here this week you may need to be here next week so do as god has called you to do and i'm asking that that's what you would do thank you lord come on as we sing step out and let's just begin to pray one for another Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.